Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Genesis and the flood has just commenced. Noah and his family have been rescued. And now we're uh, sort of in the middle of the flood. Let's see what happens next. Chap Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind pass over the earth and the waters subsided. So, um, like I said, if you checked out the Noah's Ark special on PBS, you can get a better, clear idea that this actually did happen. Um, and it was common for great floods to happen back then. Um, but if you check out the Ancient Aliens one um, that I mentioned to you earlier about underwater structures, you'll see um, that we're talking like monumental world changing floods, deep water, deep ocean floods. Um, and there's plenty of land above them now. So it lets you know things change. Um, so anyway, the floods have um, lessened on them. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. So not only did the flooding from the bottom stop, the flooding from the top stop. And the waters receded continually from the earth at the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. So maybe that's where uh, the level, water levels in, like maybe that's similar to how the water levels in the Indian Ocean, because I think that's the ocean that they were talking about in the ancient alien special that I was mentioning, but it's not only that part of the world. They've been shown in other parts of the world also, but um, that's the one that stood out to me because it was so deep and so intricate with the designs and stuff of the temples and the structures. So anyway, um, but that lets you know how deep it was, how long it happened, and what was it going to say? Oh, and Oh, and then it says 150 days. That was the thing I was going to think of. So it lets us know it was nearly, what, nearly eight months of, well, is that eight, 160, 50 days? No, 12 months. No, I don't know why my mind is going blank on this right now. Six months, nearly six months of, um, wow, of water seven months nearly of all that time of water on the earth and they're just floating around that's it's crazy then the art rested in that is not seven months forgive me it's this new card then the art rested in the seventh month so okay so it was about seven months the seventh day then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. So again, that's the part that didn't make sense to me about it. If it's floating around over in that part of the world and from the get-go, would it really make sense for after all, uh, for you to, a, a little rubber ducky doesn't stay put when you drain the bathtub. So if all that water was drained from where they started out in that part of the world to say the Lake Mead, and then maybe that's where all that water went, not evaporated, but like it is now, but instead, what if it actually went somewhere um, back in that sort of way of changing the topography of the land? Um, and so that that's where it is now, and it's moved, and the ark rested. So Ararat, just in case you don't know, that's in Turkey, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. month. 
in the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So this is making, it's painting a picture of water, uh, water world like that movie where there's nothing to be seen around you but water and here and there mountaintops. So it came to pass that in the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. So the waters were on the earth all that time. I just have to see. So that's four months. Sorry, I just had to count it up very quick. So it was 120 days. That's four months then. So um, did it say 120 days? Or did it say? No, it said 150 days. So that's five months. Sorry, I don't know where my mind went. Um, so, but now it's, that's for how long the water was up there, but the rain itself, and um, that's where, um, that's when it actually stopped. So that's letting us know, because some people will think, oh, it doesn't make sense. They just said it was this long and it was this long. No, it says it was raining and the fountains were open for those 40 days. Then that stopped, but the water itself that had already flooded was already just sitting there like a bathtub for the rest of that time and had not yet been relocated or most likely, if you believe science, um, frozen into the ice caps and the um, poles. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the ark. Okay, so we read that one. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. So he's testing now to see just how dry the land is by sending a bird out. And the first bird he chooses is a raven. And notice he sent it out not just once because it says to and fro. So that means it went back and forth. That didn't happen just one time. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. So maybe this is the first instance of racism being introduced in the Bible. The first person being sent out as a black raven and the second one being sent out as a white dove. And you can guess which one's going to be the successful one if this is a rate has racial connotations. But what's not mentioned is all of this is happening in a part of the world where everyone is dark skinned. So it doesn't make sense that it race gets introduced into stuff, but it absolutely does. Um, so now then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up. Wait, did we read that? Um, no. Okay. So, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot and she returned to the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. So it's a much more intricate story given about the dove. The ravens just says it came back and forth. Um, she didn't get walk. It didn't get welcomed back and described the same way the dove did. So you can kind of see a narrative forming. And he waited yet another seven days. And, and again, he sent the dove out from the ark. So nothing more about the raven. Then the dove came to him in the evening. So the whole point of this is sending it out is you're sending it out because if they can find a nice tree to land on, a nice place to nest at, then that means that the ground is cleared or at least clearing. If it keeps coming back to you, then it's not able to find a home for itself somewhere else. That's the whole point I'm sending the birds out like this. 
Then the dove came back to them in the evening, and behold, a flesh freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So that's pretty smart of Noah to know to do that. Um, so that's what he's figured out that, okay, so that means the waters aren't everywhere anymore. At least some tree must be visible somewhere. And not only that, it's um, able to um, start to bear leaves or at least still bearing leaves after all that's happened to it. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. So he sent out the raven a bunch of times. It came back and forth. Um, and now he sent out the dove and it did the same thing until it came back with a leaf to let him know, to give him the message. And then the last time he sent it out, it didn't come back again. So it most likely found plenty of uh, greenery that it could create a, a home for itself and eggs and whatnot. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. So um, now he not only just looked out the window that he built into the ark, now he's opened up the surface of the ark. So it kind of gives you an idea of what the, um, shape of the art probably is and that whole pbs special went into detail with it also but it seems to me to be describing something like a submarine but with a a, 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 a top entrance and i don't know if so i guess i don't know how you would get into a submarine if it didn't have yeah it does have a top entrance so that's what it seems to be describing something like that um so after all this time is the point is he's opened it up and in the second month on the 27th day of the month the earth was dried so it's giving us uh letting us know a timeline according to noah's lifespan of how long all of this is happening and what's going on then god spoke to noah saying so again this is um uh direct communications with uh god according to the narrative with humanity and if you look at the translation of god here and it's not the word lord it's god you'll see the translation of it is elohim which is not the same translation of the word lord and that is the translation of um god in those way that jesus uses it in the new testament when in for instance when jesus says for god so loved the world if you look at the translation of that you'll see that it comes from the word Elohim again also, not from Jehovah or El or Yah or Yahweh, Yahweh, none of that, none of those, which are all in the Bible. So as you know, monotheism is just something people will say. It's not something that actually is according to the Bible. Excuse me, try my mouth. Then God, so God speaking says, um, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. So again, naming off again, not by name, but specifically the humanity that survived and of that humanity survived, it is those specific people. So other religions, preachers, teachers, whatever they want to call themselves, will try to tell you, no, there's other life forms that made it onto there also. They must have some other way of knowing them because it's not being mentioned right here. 
And to me, like I've said a thousand times, the in way that you can in see that, that you can understand how from those eight, it can be a great diversity of people because uh, you can, it's easy to see in the sense that from the start of the whole flood narrative, Noah is described as being perfect in his generation, um, meaning in his generation of people, because there was a lot of wickedness going on. But also, if you want to think of it, that he had not mixed with those other um, uh, species of people, of uh, humanity, however you want to think of it, those other species we talked about before in the previous chapters of Genesis, it doesn't say anything about what his sons are as far as what his wife is, because she could absolutely be some other species of person, or she could, um, if you want to think of it in a more simple term or in a more, because um, that's what they are, a species in a, scientifically, that's what they are. But if you want to think of it in a more common everyday or religious term, you don't, she could be any other race. She could, he could be one race of people. I don't know what race it is, but God only knows what race it is. It's a long time ago, but whatever the case may be, he may be one race and all the same of that race, but it doesn't say what race she is. So she could be any other race, including a Kenite, like I said before, if you want to get all on that, or she could be any of those other species of creations. It doesn't say she's not. It doesn't say Noah didn't do the same thing the other people did. It said that Noah is not the product of any of those things happening that were so uh, apparently abhorrent to uh, the creator God at that point. Um, that's what it says. And so she could have been anything. And since she could have been anything else that Noah wasn't, which, you know, opposites often attract, then that also means that his sons could also be some other mix of creation. And it also means his son's wives could also be some other mix of any other creation. So that's at least three different ways where you have opportunity for diversity. <clears throat> Excuse me, from whatever it is Noah is that God found appealing enough to save him. It didn't say they were all perfect in their generation. It said Noah was. So Joe, Noah's perfection in his generations, however you want to think of generations, um, is what's saving the day or what's valuable among them. The rest of them are saved basically by his grace, um, God's grace through his uh, affection for or perfection through Noah, um, it seems to me. So that's plenty of opportunity right there. There's no need for anyone else to be on the ark for you to still have plenty of different races of people, is my point. So God's telling them to come on out of the boat. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound, <clears throat> excuse me, on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So the command again is to be fruitful and multiply to all of, the, all of creation. But why in the world would God, excuse me, Why would God have created all of creation and then just destroyed so much of creation 
only to tell them to go back out and recreate. I think that it's because, well, I don't know why, well, I mean, other than the wickedness that's obviously pointed out, I think that it's at least uh, the case that it happened is buttressed by uh, the PBS documentary and all the evidence it produces, it presents. But I think it's also, if you look at, um, say probably get into there, into that, on that documentary also, I don't recall right off. You can see that science believes there have been different mass extinction, extinction events in history that have wiped out the majority of um, animal or species of life diversity on the earth. So that what's alive now, as you know, populated as the planet is by people and creatures, I think it's only 10% of what there was originally, like 90% of the life on earth has been wiped out before. If I'm remembering the proportion right, I think it's 90 to 10. And I think the 10 is what's survived now. And then 90 is what's gone. But I could be wrong. It could be the other way around. At 10% is what's was wiped. No, that wouldn't be mass extinction. I'm pretty sure it was 90%. It was a lot less people back when they happened. And there were more than one. Um, but um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 90% that have been wiped out. And 10% or so, I'm giving you rough numbers, that survive among us now. We're among that 10%. So it means a whole lot of people and things were wiped out in the past before, according to science, not just the Bible. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. So it's letting us know again, it's that's who's on there. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. So all the people, the humans, hit it, they're off the boat. Now, all the creatures and animals, they're off the boat, too. And um, like I said, if you check out the PBS documentary, you'll see where they believe all of this. At least one arc from history ended up on that same Mount Ararat in um, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, that country. Um, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal, of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So um, I'm not sure what they mean by clean and unclean since none of those real laws are laid out yet. So that says to me, most likely, and I could be wrong, that this is written later. And it's going to say these, these are considered the, these first five books of the Bible are considered the five books of Noah. But Noah is dead by the end. I'm sorry, not the five books of Noah, the five books of Moses. But Noah... Moses doesn't get introduced until the second book. So how could he write about the first book? I could, unless he was a scholar, which it never says he was. Um, um, so it seems unlikely that's his first hand. This is his first hand writing of experiencing these things. He's not even alive yet, um, but it is still considered the first book of Moses, Genesis that is. He comes along in Exodus um, that's one. That's the second book of Moses, as it's called. Um, so it seems to me some of this is written down later, including this part about clean and unclean, because none of that has been an issue until now and doesn't get introduced until, what, the Levites and stuff in, like, the third book of the Bible, 
in Leviticus, maybe. Uh, and that might even be the third book. It may be even the fourth book or something. It doesn't even get introduced until later on. But it lets you know this whole idea of clean and unclean uh, as far as what you can, I guess, eat, presumably, is what um, is getting introduced. But that doesn't make sense either because up until now, the command is still, as far as God, if you're going to believe it's God, is to be um, vegetarian. So people aren't eating meat. Uh, well, if they are, it's probably what's considered, like I said before, what's bloodthirsty and violent and unacceptable and abhorrent to God, that people are going around eating his creation and his creation is eating creation. Because also the animals were told every green herb is what they're to eat. Also, in previous readings we saw. So maybe the fact that people were starting to eat, be carnivores, maybe that was what was so horrible in God's eyes and such a turnoff, but um, that doesn't make sense either because we're going to keep reading on now. Um, uh, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean. So look what he's doing to the creations. He's not, you know, unless he is eating them, unless that is barbecue. That's what he's doing. He's barbecuing the creation that God just created and told out to go and populate the earth. It just doesn't make sense. Why would shedding blood be what God wants if it's the bloodshed that God is so turned off by enough to destroy the whole earth over? It just doesn't make sense. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as I've done. So it sounds like regrets to me, and um, that's no insult. It's, if anything, it's a realize how much nerve it takes for people to say they live life with no regrets. Well, that's amazing, because even God now, we're only in chapter eight, has now again expressed regrets. We heard God, but if you're gonna believe this is God, express regrets about creating people in the first place. Now you're seeing God expressing regrets uh, about destroying everything um, and saying if, that it's not gonna happen again, won't do it, um, at least as I've done it says, meaning not by flood. So probably by fire, that's still on the table. Um, and he's also calling out, God's also calling out how evil people are. So maybe uh, the whole soothing aroma part, I don't understand that part. I mean, barbecue does smell good, but why would that matter to God if the whole command from Genesis chapter one was to only eat vegetables and to be fruitful and multiply even just now after saving all of creation and telling them to go create some more why would it be soothing to smell that again? It's probably not. I don't know, except for, I don't know. Barbecue smells delicious. So I guess that would be what smells delicious. But why would that be good to God if God's not into eating? I don't, I don't get it. And they're not into the bloodshed. And where's this whole, the whole, making offerings of the animals on altars coming from it it's maybe that's the part where god's referring to in this part that it's evil that 
that maybe God's sitting down and just shaking his head and it's like that barbecue smells really good. It's a shame that even after all this, the first thing that comes to man's heart is to kill some more, kill off some more of creation and cook it and offer it to God. That'll please God for me to kill off his creation, destroy his creation and burn it and give it to him. But it says it's soothing. I mean, so if you can figure it out, help me out. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So it's, um, that's verse 22, the end of this chapter, sort of God saying that while the earth remains, meaning so as long as the earth exists, these seasons are going to exist. And some people will dump their Bible and lean on this verse and say that climate change is false and none of that is real and that uh, we don't have anything to worry about with the plastic pollution, with the water pollution, with the air pollution, with the land pollution. We can do all of that stuff and it's not going to matter at all because God says all of these things are going to remain. And they completely ignore, once again, that says, yeah, those things will remain. And the seasons will continue to exist. Hot and heat in summer, cold in winter, those things are still going to happen. It doesn't say humans are going to be around, though. Just like uh, people assume lots of other things about the Bible. So, yeah, the earth may still be there. Because remember, God loves the world. It's the world that God loves. It's not necessarily the people. God just destroyed, had a mass extinction event and wiped out a bunch of the people. So it's not necessarily the people that God loves. It's the world that God loves. Creation, God is willing to wipe out. And now you see here, God making a promise uh, or made a statement, I should say, to um, to not necessarily people, but to creation, to the world, that it's not going to be like that again. I won't do you that way again with the floods. Um, not necessarily to people. So people should, I would think people, you wouldn't need that to be written there for people to care about the air they breathe, the water they drink, and the land they walk on. And yet some people need that to um for them to care about all of the above yeah you know that's humans so and that's also the end of this reading i appreciate you checking it out with me and hope you'll join me again on our mondays and wednesdays we're focusing on the old testament since those outnumber the gospels uh if if you think about it in biblical terms it's a tithe the gospels those six book those four books plus one chapter in the book of the Acts and some of the writings in the book of Revelation at the end have red letters in them, letters that uh, let us know those are quotes attributed to Jesus. So if you're a Christian, that's why that should matter to you because Jesus' words only appear in a tenth, one-tenth, a tithe of the entire, entire Bible. And so as a red-letter Christian, that's what I claim to be. That's what I focus on as a Christian. Why wouldn't you focus on what Jesus has to say as your compass to salvation? So um, that's what we generally focus on on our Saturday night readings now. Those are at around midnight, 12, 15 a.m. on Sunday morning, so that you don't confuse them. Uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, where we focus on the Gospels, um, and we're in the book of Matthew, starting fresh there. Um, 
And so Mondays and Wednesdays, they're at random times, generally around six o'clock, um, where we um, are focusing on the Old Testament now, and we're just starting anew. And if you've read with me before, you know it's partly because we don't hadn't generally focused on the Old Testament at all, but it only makes sense to at least go through it with you so you understand why focusing on what Jesus has to say is so important when you put the old and the new together, the old wine with the new wine. So that's why we started reading it. And if you've been reading with me, like I was starting to say, you know, we've made it to the beginning of the book of Exodus, chapter one. And then the same thing happened with the deplatforming, deplatformed. I got deplatformed um, from Twitch this time without explanation or without reasonable ex explanation. I, I think I'll post the email I got from them. Um, it didn't make any sense. They had a problem with my chosen username, but it's the same username that I had from the beginning a year before. Um, so um, that's why we started over again here with Genesis and also flipped up the um, readings on the, with the Gospels and the, Old, the New Testament, just in case you're curious. So those are our Mondays and Wednesdays at random times. And then our Saturday night readings are now the gospel readings. In the meantime, please stay safe. You can see these, um, or hear them, I should say, the podcast on um, Anchor. That's where I'm doing them. Um, and on Spotify. And um, on the Zoom meetings, I try, try to set those up, the link. And there's a link to them on my website, hungtgirl.com. Like I said before, if you're an adult, you can check it out. There's a free tour and plenty of free content there. Um, and it's on the soul page where you can see links to all of those platforms. Stay safe. I love you and appreciate you checking me out. God bless you and peace to you. Wash your hands, wear your mask, love your neighbor. See you next time.